Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Can money buy happiness? That depends on how we spend it. Dan Ariely talks with Mike Norton of Harvard Business School about Happy Money, a new book Norton co-authored with Elizabeth Dunn of the University of British Columbia. The book, subtitled The Science of Smarter Spending, challenges some of our assumptions about spending and gratification and tells us which purchases ultimately give the most pleasure. So I'm sitting here. It's England. It's uh, cold and a uh, little drizzly. And we are, what, what, what's the city, do you know? Hertfordshire, we think. <laughs> but that might be a Hobbit thing. Okay. Um, and you are? Michael Norton. Michael Norton. And Mike, you just had, uh, you go by Mike or Michael? I never knew. Mike. Mike, Mike. okay. Um, so you wrote, uh, just came out with a new book? With uh, Liz Dunn. It's called Happy Money, the Science of Smarter Spending. Okay, and uh, what's uh, what's the big issue with with spending money smartly? It's uh, about investing well. No, the big issue with spending money smart, smartly is that we do it stupidly, uh, and we focus much too much on how much money we have and how much money we're making, and not nearly enough on what we're doing with the money we have. So you're talking about what, like uh, uh, acid and uh, buying expensive beer and stuff like that. I think buying junk is what we see people doing. So when we do surveys of people and we say, what do you spend your money on? Mainly they spend money on stuff and stuff for themselves. And that's fine. It's have nice to have a nice house and a nice car and a nice everything. But it turns out when you look at the research, it doesn't do anything for your happiness. So the question is, if, if how we usually spend our money isn't making us any happier, is there anything else we can do to get more happiness out of our money? So, so you want to tell me that if I go and buy a new car now, I'm not going to be happier? Research says not so much. If you get a BMW or a Ford Escort, you'll like the car better a little bit. You'll get used to it. But when you're driving it, it's kind of the same as any other car. So think about being stuck in traffic. It's a little nicer to be in a fancy car than a not fancy car. You're still stuck in traffic regardless of the car that you're in. So it makes a little difference, but it's not going to change that much. And the difference in price is $40,000, let's say. Think what you could have used that $40,000 for instead of getting a nicer car. What, 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 if, what if it's a Prius? <laughs> if it's a Prius, you can look like you're a moral person, and that's a whole other ballgame. But you're still going to be stuck in traffic in your Prius. Okay, so people don't know how to spend uh, their money correctly. They don't buy the, the right stuff. So what stuff should they buy? Anything but stuff. So if you think about um, everything you buy, so if you buy coffee, if you buy a house, you buy a car, uh, all these things that we buy tend not to make us happy. So think of any other category other than stuff. And the first one that comes to mind is experiences. So rather than buying material things that lie around, they seem better because you're going to have it forever. But in fact, a TV after a while is just a TV, and you just sit and stare at it. It doesn't do anything for you, really. It's just you're alone in a room by yourself. Imagine buying an experience with that amount of money, like a vacation, or even a little experience like a meal out. Turns out those are way better for happiness than stuff. Uh, so, so how do you measure it? How do you show that they're better for happiness? Happiness is a funny thing uh, to measure because it's extremely subjective. So if I ask you right now, on a scale from 1 to 71, where 1 is very unhappy and 71 as happy as I've ever been. 63. 63. Exactly. It comes to your mind instantly. It's a scale I just made up, but we all can come up with a number very quickly. I don't know what 63 means for you. And I don't know if I'm a 63 if we're just as happy. But I do know if that if good thing happens to you, you'll go up. You'll be a 66. And if bad things happen, you'll probably go down. 
if I'll buy a car. Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. You'll be happy for a little bit, and then next year, you're 66. So the question is, what are the things that can actually move you around over time? And what we do is we give people money and say, go spend it in different ways. And then we see, are you still a 63? Are you up to a 66? Did it make you less happy? Uh, so... So you're saying by experiencing, by experiences, by not stuff that that would uh, make you happy. What what else? The the main point is that you can buy other things that would make you appreciate life more. That's right. One of the hardest ones for us to do is rather than buy anything for ourselves, is in fact to buy nothing for ourselves and instead buy things for other people. And that seems very counterintuitive from many standpoints, which is who's better at getting the most utility out of my money than me using it for my own preferences because I know them perfectly. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that even though I don't know your gift preferences as well as you do, I get so much happiness from buying for you that it's better for me to spend my money on you than on myself. So, so even though you might not know what wine I like the most and you will waste some money buying me wine that is not perfectly efficient, you actually would get higher happiness from buying me wine that you would get buying wine for yourself and plus I would get happiness as well. That's exactly right. So even though it might not be the wine that you love the most in the world, still the fact that I gave it to you makes you happy, it makes me happy, and of course then we're closer over time. So you know the silly phrase is money can't buy you love, and it's true you can't pay somebody to love you, but in fact we even, do. Even if it's a lot of money? <laughs> even if it's a lot. <laughs> Turns on the person. Some people probably could buy their love. But it turns out that you can use your money not to buy love, but to show other people that you care about them. You know, so you take your family on vacations. That's a way really to use money to show love and, and cement bonds between people. And it's the same with taking somebody out to lunch. You're not buying their friendship, but you are, in fact, strengthening the friendship. So, so there's a kind of a notion of spending money on other people that are strangers, and there's a notion of spending on other people who are friends. And uh, in both cases, you get uh, happiness from expressing your love, but in the case of doing it for friends, you also get something back, kind of reciprocation or extra caring and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's this thing in uh, a lot of religions about the highest form of giving is fully anonymous. You know, the recipient doesn't know you gave. No one else knows you gave either. So it's just a pure moral act. And you could think and maybe even hope that that's the best kind of giving for happiness if you're just doing it to be good. It's totally wrong. So we've done studies and shown that, that yes, that makes you happier, giving anonymously than spending on yourself. So it's still better to give than spend on yourself. But giving to someone you know and giving to them face-to-face -face is way better than giving anonymously because we're human. So we like people to clap for us and smile and say thank you and hug us. And that's a whole other source of happiness that, that we enjoy. And, and one way to look at it is to say it's selfish because you're giving and you want somebody to hug you back, but it actually strengthens social bonds. People care more about each other. Maybe some oxytocin is involved, you know, maybe, maybe good things. So and I think, by the way, reciprocity is it feels uh, very tit for tat. You know, now you owe me a meal. But in fact, people owing each other meals is fantastic. It means you're friends. It means you have something to talk about. It means I'll see you next week instead of never see you again. It isn't as negative as we often think it is. So when people read this book, what do you hope that they would get out of it? Like, how do you hope that people would be different people after they read this? I think for us, the key thing that we've changed in our own behavior, too, is anytime you're about to spend money, and I don't mean what house should I get, not just huge decisions, but if you've got five extra dollars, think about how much happiness you're going to get out of it. And we really don't do that very well. We just buy things habitually. We just do whatever with our money. We don't think a lot about it occasionally we think, am I saving enough? 
And then right after that, we keep spending. And then we say no. <laughs> exactly. And then we keep spending anyway. And we have not given up on the fight to get people to save. We do research on that too. But given that you're going to spend, think about, is this the most happiness I could get out of this money? Very good. And have you ever thought about giving uh, money to uh, one of your advisors? Giving gifts? This is a purposeful silence. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. It's a, it's a lovely book, and I'm going to uh, document what I do in my life differently because of that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely of Duke University. To further expand your understanding of dishonesty, irrationality, and other human quirks, go to danariely.com. <laughs>